Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. Real quick, if you're listening to this, that means that the doors to Feed the Peds is now open. Go to feedthepeds.com between September 21st and September 25th at 12 midnight Eastern time if you want to join the course. This is the last time we are offering it. We officially have 4.05 ASHA CEUs for the course. Yay, that's over 40 hours of ASHA CEUs. So grab them before the year ends if you need those hours. We cannot wait to see you in there. Oh, and by the way, The course is 25% off. This pandemic pricing is ending. This is the last time we will do this. Course price is going up in 2021, and we don't know when we're offering it yet in 2021. So hop on in, go to feedthepeds.com. We cannot wait to see you in there. And let me be the first to welcome you to the Feed the Peds family. Hi, and welcome to episode 76 of the Untethered Podcast. Today, we have Dr. Shahab Faragala joining us and Dr. Ibrahim Aldi. Dr. Shabab is a holistic dentist who graduated from the University of Queensland in Australia in 2001. He owned a dental practice for almost 10 years and now works for Gold Coast Holistic Care. He has completed coursework in temporomandibular joint dysfunction, sleep dentistry, buteco breathing, and now specializes in treating children with orofacial muscular imbalance. He co-invented and co-founded Myospots Australia in 2018. Dr. Ibrahim Aldeep has a PhD degree in pharmaceutical sciences. He has almost 20 years of laboratory research experience in the field of drug design and discovery. He published more than 30 research papers and has six drug discovery patents. Ibrahim's research interests are mainly in the field of infectious diseases and respiratory viruses with a focus on discovery and development of novel antiviral agents against parainfluenza virus. He works as a research scientist at Griffith University in Australia and is also the co-founder and co-director of Myospots Australia. Well, Sahab and Ibrahim, I want to thank you both so much for joining me today on the podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. Thanks, Haley. Pleasure. So I would love for you to tell us, you know, obviously we're here to talk about myospots and a bit more beyond just myospots themselves, but give us a little bit of a backstory on myospots and how they came to be. Um, Okay, well, I can probably give a little bit and Ibrahim can... Um, elaborate but uh, my story starts with uh, the stomahesive and what we used to use for patients and the problem was that uh, I wanted to train people children especially to raise their tongue to nasal breathe but one of the issues was I suspected that the stomahesive had some additives that I wasn't comfortable with because I'm a holistic dentist and those additives were, as I spoke to Ibrahim and discovered more, it turned out that some of them were rubbers and synthetics that weren't supposed to be used and they weren't even indicated for uh, oral use. And uh, then later on I found out that the material had porcine in it, which is pygmy, uh, uh, and unfortunately that doesn't go well with vegans and vegetarians initially and Muslims and Jews, and some people who just want to be fully informed. 
So that excluded me from being able to use anything that has the same concept of dissolving in your mouth. And uh, that's when we thought, well, Ibrahim was the first person I approached actually, and he was the perfect person because he is very well qualified in the field of drug research. And when I spoke to Ibrahim, uh, he then said, well, let's try and do this. And uh, very quickly, he was able to come up with um, a formulation that could work. And I'll let Ibrahim sort of take it from there, from what he, he did from, from that point on. So, yeah, actually, as, as, as she had mentioned, uh, to be honest, I was uh, uh, totally outside the field of oromology and I work mainly in, in drug discovery and drug research and um, Shehab is the one with the clinical expertise. He works with, with, with patients and he used oromology in his practice for, for a long time. So, um, but we are, we are close friends. So we know each other for a long time. So uh, one night we were actually gathered on a dinner and he started the conversation. So he told me, Ibrahim, I have an idea. It's going to be uh, uh, something good if we can do it. And he started to explain to me actually what's oromology and as, as you know, the idea actually was already there. Uh, the idea of the importance of tongue exercise and training people to correct their tongue posture, uh, correction of, of, of mouth breathing and the importance of nasal breathing. Um, and to be honest, personally, I didn't know too much about it before. So uh, it was very really, uh, good educational <laughs> decision for me as well. And I started to read more uh, to understand it. And um, again, it was the, the challenge actually that, okay, we need, we know now what, what we need to have, we need to translate this into a product. So we need to have a product uh, that's uh, as natural as possible, um, safe, can be used by children, preferably has some uh, flavor, uh, safe sweetener, so uh, it's, it's, it's acceptable, they love it. Um, yet it still adheres quickly, uh, dissociates slowly, so it allows, uh, ideally we're talking about one hour of often exercise. So uh, we took it from there, we started to get some uh, formulation testing, uh, prototypes, and we start to produce a product on a small scale, on a lab scale. And after that was actually the challenge of, okay, how now to translate this to manufacturing uh, at commercial scale, large scale, um, and follow the standards. It's, it's uh, actually the product itself, it's going to uh, be considered as like a medical device because it's an exerciser for, for, for muscles. Uh, however, when you look at the formulation and the shape of it, it's more like a, a close to pharmaceutical product. So it needs to have a pharmaceutical quality. And um, uh, just to uh, make, make the long story short, so we, we approached actually a number of, of, of pharmaceutical uh, manufacturers, started here in Australia, um, but uh, we also were, were looking at those with high expertise in the, in, the, in the field. So luckily at the end, we managed to... Uh, um, find a good partner in Switzerland, uh, Sino Pharmaceuticals. Uh, they were interested in, 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 in actually take the challenge and trying to uh, optimize the formulation at a uh, larger scale. And um, yeah, luckily we, we managed at the end to get the product manufactured uh, in pharmaceutical uh, facility at high top quality, yet having the same the formulation we, we uh, we were actually aiming at having a, being safe and biodegradable, as we mentioned. And um, we 
we understand the importance of, of being so transparent of what's in there when you give someone a, a, a product to put it in his mouth or in his kid's mouth, he needs to be sure that it's safe enough. So also one, one important thing was, okay, we will invest time, money, effort in this. We need to protect this as an intellectual property. So that's actually why we, we filed a patent application before actually we move forward with industry engagement. Um, and this actually gives us more uh, uh, freedom and confidence when we uh, uh, disclose transparently what's inside the, the, the product, what's the composition. Uh, and uh, yeah, as I said, this is, we, we, we understand that this is actually a right for the consumer. He needs to know what's in there and he needs to be uh, sure that it's safe enough. Yeah. yeah, I mean, as a um, as a consumer, as both the mother of a child who's going through Mayo, we've done expansion and growth appliance on her, and you know, I've done it myself, and now I'm I've also got patients. I can appreciate that because I think you know, being in the U.S., things are not disclosed as much as they should be, and it's really hard to trust something. You know, you even start to wonder what are the sources of these organic products? What are the sources of these? We know a natural really means nothing in the U.S., right? But like we know when it's coming from other countries, it's very different. It's much higher quality um, than, you know, even the non-organic things are much higher quality than the organic things in the U.S. So it's it's nice to be able to speak with you all and that, that you have that appreciation for, you know, like let's patent this so that we can be fully you know, honest with our, our consumers of the product and we can actually tell them what our proprietary, you know, blend is of the ingredients going into this. Um, I think that's, that's so incredibly important. And I really respect you both highly for that because I think it's something that's really missing in the marketplace, um, especially one that's highly driven by pharmaceuticals in, in the U.S. So, you know, it's really it's really refreshing to, you know, I felt safe putting it in my mouth. I felt safe trying it with my five-year-old. Um, and I know a lot of my clients, if they know if I, if I recommend something, that it's something I absolutely use myself. I don't recommend something I would never use for myself or my own child. So, um, so that speaks volume. So thank you for, you know, for creating something of high quality. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. And honestly, that's the thing, because when, when actually you have uh, started to talk about what some people use, which is uh, like the stomach adhesive or other uh, stomach protecting uh, wafers or, or powders or pastes, um, I, I start actually to, to dig deeper to know what's exactly inside there, because it's, it's because this is not a product for intraoral use, it's for external use. So uh, they, they don't have the obligation actually to disclose everything inside it. Uh, and I, I had to do some research to, to know exactly what's in there. And yeah, I was surprised, honestly, to find a synthetic polymer uh, in, inside. And I know, maybe with a good intention, many practitioners are using because they, they value, they understand the importance of, of the oral myology uh, training of, of tongue muscles and correction of, of nasal breathing. But, uh, you know, it's, it's still something that... Uh, having a, a one good piece with one bad piece in it. So you're providing a service, but you're actually, actually giving something that's not really safe. And that's why I thought, okay, the benefits are huge. So we should definitely get something that's, that's totally safe. So you provide a 100% benefit to patients from, from both sides. Yeah. And yeah, this, the, happy that we ended up actually having that safe product. Yeah. One of the other issues is that, um, uh, you have a, a large number of practitioners using things like stomach and chloroplast, but 
there is a huge number of practitioners that will refuse to use it as well. And uh, we want to engage those practitioners so that it's available to everyone. Because the, the problem is if you have um, very reputable practitioners that are not, they, they have no tools to use it and they refuse to use something that's not TGA approved, that's a therapeutic school association in Australia, it's not approved here, um, and it's not recommended or indicated for oral use, uh, then they really have nothing to go by. And that was one of the reasons to, to try and engage the larger group of people so that everybody has a, that, the, you know, the option of being able to use something like that. Yeah. I mean, I had bought the chloroplast early on in my myo career and I bought some other things and I tried them on myself first. And when I tried to get it off the top of my mouth, I was like, I can't get this off. <laughs> and one, the children are not going to like this because if they feel like something is stuck up there and they're already orally defensive and it's not something they can easily remove, this is just not going to go well. And that was number one. And I'm like, and number two, if it's something that really doesn't come off the top of my mouth, I don't think I want them swallowing that. That really doesn't seem, you know, because the whole idea is that you're breaking it down over time and it's flavored and you know there's other products that have been made that have flavors to them but similar you know very sticky tacky hard to get off of your alveolar ridge it's like it's really stuck up there so I, you know I tried it on myself twice I think I ever used it with two patients and I was like I can't in good faith recommend this like this is horrible I mean I know it achieves a really great thing and we're talking about nasal breathing and it's supposedly short term but if I'm telling a child to use this daily for even 30 days like for me i was like i can't i can't do that so uh, yeah <laughs> yeah one of the other things as well is that um ibrahim was uh ibrahim and i sat down together to try and use um ingredients that were already in use in, in food uh products so we didn't um we didn't want to use something that was outside of what's already so we know like so things like xanthan gum and agar and things that are um, used, tested, and there have been no no issues, or from my knowledge, very minimal uh, intolerances from them. So that was something that worked well to our advantage because we found out, okay, these are the ingredients that work. How can we put that into the product rather than go the other way around? And that has helped us a lot. So. The main three ingredients, actually, they are, they are food ingredients. So um, that's actually what the safest uh, list of ingredients that we can choose from. So... Uh, yeah, as, as you have mentioned, we, we, we start to look at what, what would be the safest uh, list of ingredients that we can choose from. And uh, one more point also actually had that I want also to highlight that when, as an, uh, a person from, uh, like I would say, external to the, to the oromiology field, when I started to look into the field and what research is available in it, I, I started to realize the gap further because you'll find huge amount of research talking about the problems of, of mouth breathing and the importance of nasal breathing, linking mouth breathing to a list of, of conditions, which we will probably highlight quickly in, in our interview today. But I didn't find uh, probably any proper research that contains an intervention, how to correct mouth breathing, to convert the mouth breathing, correct mouth breathing to nasal breather and measure the effect of change. Mm. which is very important research that actually is, represents a big gap in, in the research area. And the simple reason why, because there was no proper tool. <laughs> and uh, that's another key issue, honestly, in, in if you also look at, at the medical uh, research uh, space. Because as, as you mentioned, having the stomachesis or other products that are not actually uh, approved by FDA or TGA here in Australia or, or, or proper uh, Food and Drug Administration authorities, um, makes it 
almost impossible for, for uh, uh, clinicians or researchers to get ethical approvals to use this product for patients. So this made a gap. This make, made a big gap. And this is actually why, as she had mentioned, uh, so many practitioners, they avoid to work with oral medology because they know that there are issues and there is lack of, of tools. So uh, hopefully this tool will, will, will actually make a change, big change in, in the research area as well. Yeah, and as the therapist who does the this type of therapy, um, I I appreciate it because you know we can teach a patient where the spot is, right? Two to three millimeters behind your upper central incisors. Put the tip of your tongue up there. Let's hold it up there. Great. Okay, you can do that in my office. Let's play a game and hold it up there for fifteen minutes. Great, you can do that in my office. Now go home and do it. You know, and as soon as they start doing their homework, reading a book, watching TV, or doing something, and now it's passive. It's not an active activity anymore. We know that tongue has just fallen back down in the mouth. And, you know, so I really, I really like having something that they can have in their mouth that becomes a touch point for them because it helps kind of keep things activated and keeps that tongue up there while they then start to engage in more passive activities. And now we can rewire the brain differently, right? We can start to change those neuromuscular patterns and actually create effective change. And so that's where I think it's so important to have, you know, a product like this that um, allows us to actually generalize what they're doing in office or doing for homework and make it an actual, you know, lifelong change. So that's, you know, I think it's really fantastic for that purpose. And also that the, the, the biodegradable nature of, of the spots actually uh, ensure that um, the spot will not dissolve Mm -hmm. unless actually it's being touched by the tongue and uh, mm -hmm. in, in, in saliva. So if the tongue is just sitting low, ignoring the spot there, it's going to take much longer actually to dissolve. So you can know initially that, yeah, if it takes like three hours instead of one hour that, yeah, the tongue is too lazy, it's sitting down, it's not actually waiting enough. And you can observe by time that this three hours is becoming two, is becoming one, which means that, yeah, the tongue is actually changing the habit and it starts to elevate and touch the spot. Mm, that's a really great point. I like that. It becomes like a diagnostic tool. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's a really great point. Because, you know, I've started to see some others who have um, either purchased my spots or some you guys have sent some samples to some colleagues of mine. And so everybody's trying them now on Instagram and showing, you know, okay, this is where it is. Okay, that was pretty easy to put in. And it's still, oh, it's still in there. 10 minutes later, oh, it's still up there. <laughs> so okay. I think no one really had this idea that like, oh, it's actually going to be up there for an hour, even if my tongue is on the spot. Mm -hmm. um, so when you said that, I was like, oh, that's really, that's really good. That's some key, key information because I think, also parents can help to monitor it a little bit better at home you know we'll say to parents well how's it going you know is their tongue on the spot and they'll be like well the mouth is closed and I'm like well that doesn't tell me anything <laughs> the mouth can be closed with the tongue down the tongue can be between the teeth with the mouth closed or even up against the teeth and so um, I think this will also give parents a better way to monitor that so at home they can actually give us real feedback to say, well, the spot, you know, actually dissolved after two hours or one hour or however long um, when they go to check in and then hopefully the child won't get, you know, as frustrated with them being like, what's, what's your tongue doing? <laughs> Let me see in your mouth. What are you doing? Is your tongue up? Because <laughs> every time you ask, of course, the kid goes, yeah, yeah, my tongue is up. It's on the spot. And I'm going, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> so that's, that's why you may even notice um, changes in the salivary flow as well. Mm. So initially, um, when their mouth is closed, it, it may improve over the, the following weeks. So it might disassociate or dissolve quicker. Okay. And that's something we haven't really tested, but that's something that may occur. Yeah. And we do have a, um, 
some of the flavors that are in the pipeline that will actually put a little bit of stain on the tip of your tongue so that you can actually go, okay, show me your tongue. And when they poke their tongue out, if it's, if it's got the coloring there, um, there'll be natural colors, but that you'll see the color and you'll know that, okay, you've been putting your tongue up or you haven't. Yeah. And so that's, that can be used as a diagnostic tool. And parents can look at their tongue, their children's tongue, and, and say, yes, you've been doing correctly. Practitioners as well. So it makes a big difference when you're able to say, okay, their mouth is closed. How do I know their tongue's going up? One is that you can look at the time of dissolving. If it dissolves within like 45 minutes to an hour, then you're on the right track. If it's extending there for a couple of hours, then there's a problem. And two, with some of the other colors that are coming out, you'll be able to tell. So that's, great. that's a good way of knowing. That's great. You know, sometimes we have kids who are going, oh, I don't know if there's like a posterior tie here, maybe a little too tight. And they have a tendency to, you know, they'll say their tongue is up, but they put the tongue, the tip of the tongue too far back in their palate. And sometimes they'll even flip their tongue. So they actually make contact with the spot, but it's with the underside of the tip of their tongue and not the actual tip of their tongue. So that's yeah. really cool. You know, especially when I tell parents this, they're like, they kind of like, they don't really understand the full extent of what I'm saying. They're like, but the tongue is up there. Isn't that the whole point? You want the tongue to be up. I'm like, yes, but we really want more than just the tip of the tongue resting up in the palate. So we can't have the tongue flipping over this way. Um, so I think if we can show them, well, hey, look where the spot is. You know, it's leaving a little yeah. color right there. And parents can see that. I think whenever we can visually one show the patient whether it's a child or an adult you know or definitely the parent of a child that feedback is so so very valuable yeah, yeah. and sometimes I, I even get the um the children to put it in the posterior part of the palate of the hard palate so they've got two up there at the same time i usually i usually get them to do that maybe two weeks into putting one spot mm -hmm. and then i'll put two so then by that time you should see like a, a couple of spots on the tongue Mm, that's, good. that's yeah. a good idea. I like that. Um, now, do you see, I mean, I know that we can talk about, you know, changes in behavior and sleep and all that, all that fun stuff just as a result of the tongue being up in the palate. Um, but when do you feel like we start to actually see changes? Like, have you, has there been any work done in, with, you know, in your clinic with um, your office? as far as children using it and knowing that the tongue is actually up on the spot and, you know, after a month or after two months or anything along those lines, we feel like parents might also start to see other things changing within their child, whether it's better sleep or, you know, any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, um, it, if they're using it, if they're compliant. So let's assume they're compliant because some, like, uh, uh, some kids uh, forget to put the spot initially. But eventually, if they're compliant, then you would expect as quick as two to three weeks to notice behavioral changes. And it's amazing because um, you get an agitated child, a child that doesn't sit, you know, they kind of got ants in their pants, and all of a sudden, um, they're calmer, they're a bit more focused. Their sleep uh, tends to improve. Um, things like, uh, in some instances, bedwetting improves. So you get like some children that, you know, frequently bedwetting and, you know, within a few weeks you, in some children, you do get an improvement there. Um, just, just seeing and walking to the clinic with their lips closed is, um, for me, that's a winner. And you go, okay, look, this child came in and I'll usually video them. 
So I'll have a video like of them without them even noticing and they'll have their mouth open and, you know, sometimes they'll be, you know, that droopy sort of face where their shoulders are rolled forward. And uh, even initially, the moment you put one in, now I've had patients that, that come in, they're due to see an ENT to get their adenoids removed. And um, I, I'll do a test on them to see whether or not their adenoids works. So normally I'll um, get them to put like a small bit of water in their mouth um, in, uh, and maybe like a, a small sip and they've got to hold on to that water for a couple of minutes and you probably do the same. And if they, if they are able to do that for two to three minutes, then uh, I say, well, their nose works, right? So if their nose works, then, um, then maybe we could get them to breathe through their nose throughout the whole day. Now, the night's a bit different because sometimes you get more inflammation as you lay down and the turbinates can swell up and things like that. But if we can get them to breathe through their nose during the daytime, that's a big plus, right? And you notice that in some children, um, they develop a habitual nasal breathing just by using their nose. A lot of times just not using their nose uh, causes that inflammation. You know, it's, it's that whole thing of use it or lose it. And they, they stop using their nose, then it gets more and more inflamed. So I, I see changes pretty quickly and the changes I'm talking about are not um, morphological. They're more uh, behavioral so, and muscular. And that's what you aim for. So as soon as you get that muscular change and you go, well, okay, you're in the driver's seat, you can redirect things um, six months down the track, 12 months down the track, but you've got to get that tongue up. You've got to get the lips together. You've got to get them to breathing through the nose. But I definitely see behavioral changes within a couple of weeks. And that's just for my... And I, obviously it's subjective because it's in a clinic situation. It's not a study or anything like that. But sure, but I think that, you know, there's not enough of that level for, you know, case study type of research even out there yet yeah. because everyone always, whenever I share these stories, everyone goes, well, write that up. So I'm like, in my spare time, sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we know what we see as far as changes go for their yeah. patients. And so I know there's definitely a time and a place for all the actual, you know, our, you know, the level one, level two studies. Um, but I think it's really, really very cool that we can report on that because that's what parents care about. Parents don't, yeah. parents don't care if there's a level one or level two study on this. They're going to care if you were able to help their friend's child, you know, gain better sleep, their behaviors improved. They are able to learn better. They're able to attend better. They're not, maybe the bedwetting, like you said, has stopped. You know, I know that there's a, um, high correlation between bedwetting and obstructive sleep apnea. And so we see that, you know, obviously if we can change the sleep and the child is able to get restful sleep and maybe now their tongue is not falling in the back of their mouth and blocking their airway when they're sleeping and they're not jolting themselves awake and wetting the bed, you know, that I think to any parent, like most parents have no idea that's even related until they meet one of us when we start to explain that, you know, well, this is actually highly related. And they're like, bedwetting, how does that have to do with their mouth? That has everything to do with their mouth. Um, so, you know, I think that those are some big life changes that when we can get those quickly for a patient, I mean, that really gets them on board. And then they're like, okay, what else do we need to do? Let's do this. Um, so I love, I love hearing, you know, I love to hear that that's what you're seeing in your clinic. Yeah. One of the things that I have a problem with is that, you know, the, you hear about how important diet is for a person and you hear about how important uh, exercise is. Everybody knows it, but nobody knows the importance. Well, no, I shouldn't say nobody, but a lot less 
uh, numbers know about the importance of nasal breathing and lip seal and tongue posture. And I, and I say to, you know, a lot of people that don't know anything about it. So, well, if you think about like uh, the importance of diet and exercise, well, the, the, the third one in there, um, let's not assume that we're talking about mental health, but just physical health at the moment, although they overlap, is, um, is nasal breathing. And if, if, you, if, you, if you're doing the other two, but you're not doing the nasal breathing, then you're missing out on a lot of health benefits. And actually, you can have the opposite. It can actually really damage your growth and development. And that's something a lot of people don't know about. And when you tell people the first time, they're shocked. They're either shocked or they don't believe you. <laughs> I've actually used that with some of my teams, some of the teen patients that I've treated to tell them, like, if you want to improve your swimming score, your, your time on that swim, or you want to improve as a gymnast, I mean, we need to look at your airway. Because if you can breathe better, then, and they're like, what are you talking about? And, you know, when you start to explain to them, and I don't know all of the, you know, mechanics behind all of the, the sports science and everything, but I know enough to basically say, look, we can make you better at your sport if you can breathe better. And these are often children who are coming that might have severe tongue ties and their tongue is really stuck down in their mouth. And no matter how much therapy we do, like they're still going to need that phrenectomy. Um, but, you know, we're lo really looking holistically at like, what can we achieve, you know, as step one before we even send you off for a procedure? How can we prep you? How can we see what your body really needs the step one? And then let's talk about prepping you for a procedure if that's next, the next step. But in the meantime, we still need to work on getting that mouth closed if you're, if you're able to nasal breathe and getting, you know, the nasal breathing going. And so, you know, it's really, it's been very fascinating because I had several patients that were really like go, go, go athletes. Like they were up at 5am, you know, doing their sport before high school and after school, they were just exhausted. And I was like, mm -hmm. well, anybody getting up that really is maybe tired by three 30 in the afternoon. But at the same time, like you should not be, one of them also had horrible insomnia, couldn't sleep. And I, I actually think that um, she was having such horrible obstructive sleep apnea because of her, her tongue tie that she her body just was like, we're not sleeping. Like, this is dangerous. Like I'm just not, so she would sleep maybe three hours a night. She was trying to get up and do swim team at, you know, four in the morning after not sleeping. And I think she ended up quitting. Um, and in the end, because the mom was like, it just wasn't, it wasn't healthy for her. This was not sustainable. And I was like, no, it's not sustainable, but they were, they were able to get her help. And I think it was her choice to give up the sport. But at the same time, you know, you just look at the impact that it has on people's lives and they have no clue that it's all starting here. So, you know, there's definitely a lot of education to be done in this area. I mean, you think about like, People like uh, elite athletes, Roger Federer. Have you ever seen, like, when you see the way he breathes, he's a, an incredible nasal breather. Um, soccer, you can look at Cristiano Ronaldo. You can see how he breathes through his nose, like a very, uh, even if you look at the, um, if somebody's into MMA, you look at John Jones, incredible na nasal breather. These are elite athletes in various different fields. They're all breathing through the nose. Golf players as well. If you look at all of those, the best often breathe through the nose, but there are some exceptions. I think um, the American swimmer, uh, Michael Phelps, yeah. <laughs> he's, an athlete, but he's, a, he's an interesting case because when I, when I look at him, um, the amount of um, exercise he does, uh, he's maintaining an elevated carbon dioxide uh, level just by the amount of exercise. Long term, I don't know how he's going to be. 
but he's able to compensate for that because of the amount of swimming. He's doing hours and hours and he eats like, you know, 10 times a day or whatever it is. I'm not quite sure the amount of calories he consumes. But generally, if you want to do a sport where you need calmness of mind, you need focus and all those kind of things, uh, mouth breathing is essential. And, uh, yeah, a lot of people don't realize that. If you're, uh, sorry, nasal breathing. Really? Mouth breathing is, mouth breathing is um, detrimental. Yeah, so. Yeah, no, and there, there is some uh, discussion, I don't know how much truth there is to this, that Michael Phelps apparently is now working on his jaw. And, uh, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, so um, yeah. he's actually uh, at a Baltimore, Maryland, which is like an hour from where I live. And so there's yeah. a lot of people around here who are like very pro Michael yeah. Phelps because, you know, oh, he's from my yeah. town. And, um, and so that whole, you know, everybody in America loves Michael Phelps. But yeah, so there's it's interesting because there's, you know, when you get together with other myofunctional therapists, obviously it's very easy to look at celebrity pictures on the computer and go like, Oh my goodness. Like, look at that jawline or look at this, you know, Oh, I bet you that they have a tongue tie or I bet you that they they don't nasal breathe as much as they should. Um, it's like when you put your myo eyes on, you just can't take them off. So. <laughs> but it's yeah, his, his, his mandible is incredibly small and you know, it's, so it is interesting to look at the shape of his face, but also to see how much harder he must have to work to overcome. I wonder if he had things, something like asthma when he was younger or I'm not. I think, I actually feel like I've heard that he did. Yeah. I feel like yeah. I've heard that he had a history of airway issues and yeah, yeah. it's fascinating. I'd have to go back and look to be sure, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's always fascinating. I'd love to have him on the podcast and talk to yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but it's very interesting because I follow um, some other people that I've just been in business with in the online space. We're not in this space. And one of them was so funny because one day she started talking about how she had to go and start this oral facial myology thing because she can't breathe through her nose properly and her tongue is down and she went, you know, and so, and I was like, wow, this is getting out into the mainstream. She's got a, this woman's got millions of followers. And I was like, this is so exciting. <laughs> Like, this is the kind of news that makes my day. <laughs> That's cool. Um, so, so yeah. So, where do you feel like my like? Do you have uh, any bigger future visions for Myo Spots? Where do you guys plan to take this? I mean, obviously, it's an amazing thing that is now making it into the U.S. market, and I know a lot of us that are trialing these out are showing, you know, our colleagues on Instagram and. Um, once we start using them, obviously we'll, you know, more frequently, I'm sure that families will share them with their kids, you know, with their friends and it'll get bigger and bigger. But do you all have some type of a bigger vision for, for Mayo spots? Yeah, actually, Hallie, uh, speaking about myself has mentioned because I like, uh, maybe two years ago or more than two years ago, I didn't know nothing actually about <laughs> or myology. And I, while actually I'm working in, 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 in research field of pharmaceuticals, I, myself, I was a mouth breather. And I didn't know actually how bad it is un, until I start to read uh, proper research. So uh, lack of knowledge is, is a bigger challenge. And we are happy that it's, it's uh, probably a very simple tool, easy to use, that maybe can help us to spread this knowledge to everyone. And honestly, this is what we are dreaming about and what we, what we uh, are aiming for is actually to um, use my spots to educate people about the importance of, of nasal breathing and uh, uh, how huge and big the change can be just by such simple exercise. So um, yeah, our, our, our actually main, main, main target and, and big dream is, 
is actually to uh, spread awareness, uh, increase the knowledge uh, about this. And um, because again, they are both linked together. My spots as a product to introduce it to anyone needs to start by speaking about the problem of mouth breathing and the problem of, of incorrect uh, tank posture. Um, the, the other part of, of future plans, we, we are talking about actually improving the product itself. Mm -hmm. And now reaching the, the stage of having the product manufactured by a pharmaceutical facility, um, we have plans, hopefully not in, uh, it, I would say maybe in, uh, not too far, in a few years maybe, we can have this product also fortified by vitamins and minerals, so people who use it uh, regularly can also benefit from the intra or very quick absorption of minerals and vitamins. And especially looking at uh, uh, um, kids who use the product as probably the, the majority of, of users. Um, they will probably have some other issues, uh, have some deficiencies in vitamins and minerals. So if they are using the spots two or three times a day for, for a few months, it's, it's going to be very good also to get a dual benefit. So uh, this is also actually what we have in mind and we, we, we already working on, on, on research and it's, it's not going to be a very difficult thing to do because um, with, with the current manufacturing method we use, uh, it should be easy. That's great. Um, so I have a question um, to have about your clinic. So do you primarily do dentistry? Or do you also do orofacial myology? I think our listeners would be curious to hear, like, what do you actually have in your clinic or how does how do you operate, I guess? And Well, I work for a practice. The main place I work at is called the Gold Coast Holistic Dental Center. And uh, I, I do mainly there, I do a mixture of dentistry, but probably half to three quarters of the time. I do um, oral myology with children. So oh. I work between the age bracket of three, sometimes two, right up to about um, 15 years old. Um, so mainly the, the children I treat, they'll come in uh, chronic mouth breathers. They um, will have poor tongue postures. They'll have mal, you know, malignant teeth and things like that. But I always, whenever I, I treat any of these patients, I'm, I'm never ever treating crooked teeth and I tell them if that's what you primarily want to treat then you should see an orthodontist because that's not what I'm treating and um, as soon as they understand okay look this guy's actually treating the, the musculature and that there is a problem and it can be fixed so some of them will choose to um, as a standalone treatment they'll come in and get the oral myology and I'll use a combination of things like uh, you know my spots and I might use um, you know, uh, palatal expanders, and um, I might sometimes use different types of taping methods for their mouths and, and a whole bunch of different exercises. And um, so some of them, if they come in nice and early, um, and I'm talking about four or five years old, uh, I can actually, uh, you know, get them to a point by the time they're about six and a half, where hopefully they'll be okay. And they've developed really good habits. They can breathe well. Um, there's a lot more space in their mouth and then they can go from there. Um, then you get some other patients that will come in and say, look, uh, we're, we're going to go to the orthodontist and we have, you know, an orthodontist in our practice as well. Um, and and we have a dentist who practice, practices orthodontics. Uh, so what will happen is that they'll come and spend three months with me where then I'll teach them how to breathe through their nose, how to elevate their tongue, how to improve their oral facial musculature. So, you know, things like you already know, like 
when they swallow, there's no movement in their mouth and things like that. And the moment they're developed, you know, the, the, the strong tongue muscles and, and these muscles here start to relax, then they can go afterwards and get their orthodontics done. Because what happens is that now um, this is all stable, so their orthodontics should be, in theory, uh, quicker because their tongue is, pro is helping to promote the um, expansion and, and retaining. And additionally, if you've got things like anterior open bite, which is very, it responds really well to this type of treatment. So um, rather than trying to pull teeth to sort of go back to where they are, where you teach them to put their tongue out of the way so that their, their teeth start to come to the right place. And then once that happens, well, it makes the orthodontist life so much easier. So they know that, okay, um, if, they get, if they get that particular treatment, then the orthodontic treatment is a lot easier. So that's the kind of treatment that I do. And I spend a lot of time with children one-on-one. Um, -on -one. So, yeah, I don't like that. I, I know some practices, uh, they, treat, they treat it in groups. So they'll treat like um, five or six kids. But I prefer just to treat them one-on-one -on -one and put the focus there. I'm not saying one way is right, one way is wrong, but that way I put my energy. It means I can't see as many people, but it seems to work quite well for me. No, I, I appreciate that because you, you know a lot. It sounds like you know, knew a lot about the Mayo and I wasn't quite sure like how much of a role you played in that. And, you, and I was like, I feel like you're, you're working with these kids a bit more than like our traditional dentists here. So a lot of our holistic dentists here will take the courses so they have an understanding of what goes into orofacial myology. And it's, you know, they're taking a lot of the same courses that the myofunctional therapists take, but then, you know, they're becoming like a fellow in orofacial myology. They're not really doing the actual treatment. Um, they're working with the team, like you said. And so either maybe like a registered dental hygienist might be doing it or a speech pathologist or so on and so forth. Um, so that's, that's really cool. It's, I, I can appreciate that a lot because, you know, obviously you have the dental side, but then you also have the myo side, um, which is really nice to, you know, to understand as well, since, you know, you've obviously created a product that you weren't just saying, Oh, these kids need to keep their tongue up in their mouth. Like you really get it. Cause you're working with them both on the dental and the myo side. Um, so I love that. And you know, my daughter, go ahead. Sorry, we recently had a case of, uh, anterior open bite and, uh, this was amazing because it took from, um, you know, I don't know how far, but probably about that much open bite. And um, what would that be? Almost like uh, half a centimeter. Um, and so that took us six weeks and the teeth are just about touching. And that was amazing. I'm like, oh, that just blew my mind away. Not every case responds to that. You've got to be honest. But um, the, the, the takeaway message there is that this child managed to get their tongue in the mouth instead of, because it was related to tongue thrust. Mm -hmm. Some are related to tongue thrust, some are related to thumb sucking, some yeah. are related to digits or whatever it might be. But in this particular case, it was a tongue thrust and six weeks, complete, almost complete resolution. And um, so with this particular child, we'll probably keep him uh, on, on the therapy for another few months. And if they're all good, they're good to go. And so it does happen. You do get really cool results. And uh, I, I wish all orthodontists will um, uh, use oral myologists a lot more because they make the perfect team. And, uh, you know, there's some, in some situations, uh, they, they see each other as competition, but really they're, they're part of a team. And if they work together, they can optimize the results. They can get quicker results. They can get um, 
uh, more efficient results, and that would be ideal. And that's something we're trying to promote as well. That's fantastic. We really, I feel like the DC metro area where I am in the United States is starting to come around. We've got um, several holistic dentists nearby. I work very closely with one who's a good friend of mine who I actually grew up yeah. with. Um, and, and she and her partner, um, they both own the practice and they both, her partner does more of the orthodontic. They both do dental work, but they do dental appliance. And then she actually is an orthodontist as well. So um, they use our, you know, they use the ALF appliance, DNA, AGA, Matt, you know, mm -hmm. the list goes on. And so they really try to match the right appliance for the right patient, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. And they also understand the importance of, you know, myofunctional therapy, um, which is wonderful as well, because we work really nicely together. But what I've started to notice is that more and more traditional orthodontists are starting to refer and it started with the cases where they were putting dental cribs in and they're going this child is still getting their tongue around the dental crib up against their teeth their teeth are flaring out you know what is going on this they were really, you know they'll say like they were really stubborn tongue or i'm like well the dental cribs you know whatever we will, i'm not a dentist so i won't comment on them but i don't love them um and then we've got the kids who obviously go into orthodontic relapse, you know, or the adults like me. <laughs> and so, you know, that's where we really talk to these orthos. Like if you're going to do traditional orthodontia, by all means, go for it. But before you take those braces off, they need to complete their myo program because, you know, and at that point it's tricky too, because it depends who they're coming from and how they're doing the appliance work. Sometimes that that RPE goes in, it's in for three months, they take it out, they put the braces on. Sometimes they leave the rapid palatal expander in after the expansion's done to hold the width of the palate while the braces are in. And I'm like, I can't do Maya with an RPE in the mouth. Like, that's not gonna work. I can't get the tongue up in the palate. So it's, you know, it's both frustrating on certain levels, but also I appreciate that they are starting to come around. And, and we look, we've had um, some orthodontists who go, okay, well, if you're going to be, if they've committed to working with you, I will take that dental crib out, you know, but I need to know that they're actually being seen in your office before I actually remove it because I don't want them to do further damage to their teeth that we've worked so hard on. So it's, uh, it's definitely a dance. Um, but I was that mom who at four, you know, my daughter, when she was four a year ago, I was like, nope, we're putting the ALF in. We're going to grow this, this mouth forward and sideways. And, um, it was pretty cool. She just had it taken out. She had it for a year and she's, you know, we're working on like one or two speech sounds, but as far as like thrusting her tongue, when she swallows, her tongue is really up in the palate now. And right. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm that mom who my kids won't smile for a picture, but they'll suction their tongue to their palate at the same time. So <laughs> it's like we do Maya is basically our life in this house. <laughs> but do you know what? Um, on that point, with um, a lot of the removable appliances, uh, one of the things we did test early on was the adhesion of the Maya spot to an appliance, and uh, they stick. So there's, there is some. Uh, there is some possibility to be able to put the my spot on an existing it. Now it's not, it, you're not going to get the therapeutic effect of like, for example, the, um, the neurofeedback where the tongue touches the palate and you get that sort of, but you will get some kind of muscle memory forming with the tongue even touching the appliance. So you can actually put a spot up against the appliance itself and that will help a little bit. So we did test that. I haven't, been doing that very much because some of the appliances that I that I make there's a little space on the end spot so I can actually get them to go there and I can put the my spot in that little space 
But if you've got a parallel coverage, you may still be able to put the MySpot on the appliance and get the same kind of um, uh, training. Good to know. It's good information. Yeah, we. Um, I was using a DNA appliance, and it was like my whole mouth was. I was like, "How does anybody's tongue find its way to the palate with this big thing in? It's just impossible yeah, to even fit my tongue in there between the top and the bottom appliance." But yeah, yeah. no, it was. I, I really like the ALF, especially for her, because the way that they they notch the appliance, or you know, right behind the upper central incisors, it's almost like, "Hey, put your tongue up here." But a lot of the, you know, they say that they're supposed to find their tongue. Their tongue's supposed to find its way up there because it's putting a teeny bit of pressure on that area. I still don't find that that actually happens for my kids. They still, you know, my patients do like, they still need the Mayo program. So I think, you know, even for them, like Mayo's class would be fantastic to be using along with um, that appliance. Yeah. That's fantastic. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Anything else that we haven't covered or that you'd like to add about the product or. Um, I don't agree. Any thoughts? Um, no, I, I, again, as, as I mentioned, just, uh, to be to be honest, because it was it was really fascinating to me to to realize the 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 wide range of of uh, uh, of impacts uh, of mouth breathing and how actually just a small change shifting from chronic mouth breathing to nasal breathing uh, can make um, because for example I I honestly before going deeper into this I was never expecting that there is a link for example between dermatitis. And mouth breathing, and yeah, this is proved with with high quality research. Different types of allergies, including dermatitis, rhinitis, uh, asthma, um, they are all related to to inhalation of large amount of of allergens. And again, breathing through your nose actually allows you to to filter most of these allergens and uh, get rid of them before they reach uh, your body and the respiratory system. So. Um, uh, in addition, of course, to, to the snoring and sleep apnea, because probably this will be the main thing would, that most of the people would think of when you talk about the effects of mouth, mouth breathing, but also dysphagia, because uh, chewing efficiency and swallowing efficiency, they are also very much linked to, in, in one sense, to the, to the strength of, of oral mouth muscles and also to, to the mouth breathing. And um, as I said, because myself, I was, I was a, a mouth breather. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really difficult to, to chew food efficiently uh, if you are breathing and mm. eating at the same time from, <laughs> from the same, from the same uh, uh, space. So uh, this also was, was, was another thing. And again, as I, as I said, I think it's, it's a big mission. We, we, we actually dedicated to put all our effort in it to, to increase the awareness of, of uh importance of nasal breathing but uh, i think we need we need a lot of help from all people who are interested in this space to uh, yeah give us a hand and actually uh, increase the awareness of of uh, importance of nasal breathing yeah no and i i love the point that you made because i think that it doesn't get said enough and i don't think enough people realize that mouth breathing impacts how you chew and how you swallow and when people say that, they're like, well, how, what does one thing have to do with the other? Well, like you said, it creates an imbalance in the, in the oral musculature. You know, as soon as a patient walks into my office, I can tell which side of the mouth they chew on. I just look at their face and I'm like, they chew on the right side of their mouth. I can see that this side is more overdeveloped than that side. And so I'll have them, you know, we'll do our eval at the very end. I always have them have a snack and they have to do different things for me. And it's really silly. And I'm like, okay, we're going to chew it up right before you swallow, open your mouth and show me your tongue. And sure enough, it's either scattered everywhere or it's 
all the way on that one side where they chew, right? So, you know, when you start to realize that this is also interrelated and that mouth breathing, if the mouth is hinged open and the muscles are not activated properly and they're not being used properly, of course that's going to impact you know, sleep when they're sleeping and what their mouth does when they're sleeping, it's going to impact how they chew, how they swallow, how they speak. You know, it's, it's incredible. I've, I've received, um, patients that have been in years of speech therapy and they could not correct certain sounds. And then we do my, you know, I basically tell the parent, look, you know, one, your child, usually they have a pretty severe tongue tie if that's the case. Not always, but, you know, like we've got a myofunctional disorder here and there is a pretty significant tongue tie at play as well. And we need to see, like, I don't know if we need a procedure or not. Let's, let's work through this for a couple of weeks and let's see what happens first. Um, but when we get to the point of trying the program out and the parents really like sitting here like going, okay, here's another speech pathologist telling me that we're going to fix the problem. And then they, the child actually starts to improve and the parent is like, oh my gosh, <laughs> wow. And, and the child has now graduated out of my office after six months and that can even include a phrenectomy, right? And we've now got him eating better. He's sleeping better. He's speaking clearly. And these are sometimes teenagers who sound like they are in kindergarten because of how severely impacted their speech sounds are. They're really hard to understand. And that also then ties into social emotional, right? We, it goes, it's much more farther reaching than everything we've talked about. They really, there, there is that mental health piece that I know we alluded to much earlier on and we didn't really um, talk about that, but the mental health piece of how they appear and how they, you know, making friends, how easy it is to make friends. If people can't understand you or you're a really messy eater with food all over your face, you're probably not going to be the most popular kid in school. And we've had a lot of kids who, you know, we've just seen such a change just in a matter of weeks to a couple of months, all of a sudden they're, they're more energetic, they're more outgoing, they're more confident. And so I think, and, and even adults, I've worked with adults who, um, you know, it's impacted all kinds of things for adults. I had one realtor come to me who said, I just want to be able to say my wedding vows without being tired. And she had, it was 10 a.m. when I assessed her and she said, I've had one client call this morning. I've had a cup of coffee. I'm here. I am physically exhausted. Like I can't talk anymore. And I was like, it is 10 a.m. in the morning. Like, that's not okay. And she's been living her whole life like this. And so after the procedure, then it, you know, came, she was like, oh my gosh, like I didn't know what I was missing because you just learn to live with what you live with. You don't know until somebody brings it to light. And so, you know, I think that if, you know, while we're talking about like a product that might seem so tiny, you know, it's this tiny little thing that goes in your mouth and we're trying to achieve nasal breathing and trying to get you healthier. I think that the, the actual impact on life and mental health and just, you know, full body health is just, it's so far reaching. And when people start to realize that, I think that, you know, it will become more of a mainstream conversation. hundred percent. I think you're right. But there's a lot of there's a lot of, uh, like what Ibrahim was saying, there's a lot of really high quality research out there that uh, makes all those links, like altered speech. There's some high quality research to show the link between mouth breathing and altered speech. There's, um, there's another paper out there that talks about the um, oxygen deprivation to your prefrontal cortex for mouth breathing. And when you've got oxygen deprivation because of that, then, well, you're predisposed to attention issues, concentration issues. There are research uh, papers that link ADHD to mouth breathing. And so even though 
it looks like we're doing you're doing something small by getting into nasal breathe. Well, the ramifications are huge, and so that's a very very important point as well that you mentioned. But um, to tie it in with the tongue elevation, well, the moment your tongue's elevated uh, and on the spot, it's hard to actually uh, mouth breathe because once your tongue is up the roof of your mouth, you pull that whole structure up. And once that whole structure goes up, your lips come together and you start nasal breathing. And that there's even research paper to show the correlation between tongue elevation to roof of your mouth and increase in physical strength. And it's measurable. We're talking like 30% increase in physical strength and there are papers to actually support that. And that's amazing. So like what you said, it's very small. It looks like you're doing something very small, but the, um, the actual effects are huge and it can change people's lives. We all used to be those, I believe anyway, I personally believe that you go back a thousand years, the vast majority of people were nasal breathing. And now we're talking about, uh, it could be as high as 50% of people are at some time mouth breathing. And so that's something that, that's a problem, right? needs to be fixed. Yeah, it's a huge problem. And, you know, uh, what I've been trying to do a lot of education on is educating parents of infants because we know that the swallow develops, you know, by 12 weeks in utero. And so that's happening by the end of the first trimester. That's the swallow you have, you know, already in utero. You're born with it. Well, if this baby pops out and the mouth is open, there's things we can do early on to guide that jaw closed and guide the tongue up in the mouth. And it's, you know, if we can do that with infants and hopefully decrease, you know, over time, who needs myofunctional therapy come age four, um, that's huge. And so we, we try to, yeah, we try to do a lot of education on, on in the infant space for, especially for the therapists who are getting these babies and, and working with them. Um, because one thing that I realized was number one in the United States, there just are not enough universities that teach how to even do pediatric feeding. And so we created a 12 week course. And then when we created that, I pulled in other specialists that work in arenas that I do not specialize in within that space. And my specialty is tongue tie and Mayo. And so I said, the other thing that nobody's teaching is what do we do with these kids who already have dysphagia and they're having trouble breastfeeding and bottle feeding and parents are just at their wits end when nobody's talking about their tongue or their airway, like what, their mouth. Like why we're talking about feeding. I don't, I don't get it. Why is nobody teaching this? So we included a module on tots and a module on Maya within this 12 week course. And you know, everybody's like, Whoa, this just makes so much sense. And I'm like, if we approach this more holistically, like we're not doing like traditional myofunctional therapy on these babies. No, we're learning like, what is the goal? Well, the goal is tongue up on the palate, you know, tongue on the spot, mouth closed, nasal breathe. And if we can get a baby to do that, how much better their feeding is probably going to be, you know, it's just, we really have to look at it from, from birth, from in utero, because like you said, you know, going way back, this wasn't an issue, but now that we are so, you know, with epigenetics and how over industrialized things have become and how we, at least, you know, in the U S everybody's eating such processed foods and things that are broken down. It's, we're having a collapse of airways, a collapse of the jaws, you know? And so that's, you know, I, I have my whole family going into appliances, but <laughs> I know that's not typical of everybody out there. Um, and that was, 
the funny thing about this podcast was I went to go find the podcast. I was like, there's gotta be a podcast on this and I can learn more about and listen. And it didn't exist. And I was like, oh man, now I got to create this. So, you know, it's been really fun for me because I get to meet a lot of people in the space and have really amazing conversations and learn from, from others in this space. But it's, also been really inspiring and fulfilling to me as well, because now I have parents who are starting to listen to the podcasts and, you know, I have parents contact me going, I've listened to all of the episodes. I'm like, you've listened to all the episodes. I don't even re-listen to the episodes. (laughs) I mean, I have the conversations, but you know, and, and they're like, yeah, so where do I find somebody that can do this for me? And I'm like, okay, this, like, this is very exciting that this is where this is leading to. And I'm like, if I can be that, that networking person, that connector for families, to start to get the help that they need for their children or for themselves as adults, you know, and like my work here is done. <laughs> and I think that's very much so in alignment with, you know, the, the purpose behind your product. And I think that it's fantastic to have these options to share with families. Yeah. No, that's so cool what you're doing. You're moving the, moving, empowering the uh, parents and general public rather than sort of giving it, uh, keeping it in a very small domain. That's fantastic because that's what we want to do as well. We want to get everybody to know about this. There shouldn't be a hidden knowledge. Yeah. People should know straight away, okay, there is an yeah. issue. For yeah. My intention was like professionals need to know about this, which they still do, right? We still need to get this yeah. out to all the professionals. Um, yeah. It's really cool too for, for families to come and be like, well, I was listening to this podcast and I heard this specialist say this. And so I'm wondering yeah. like, you know, um, why aren't you doing this? Like asking a doctor or asking a professional. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's <laughs> like, good. Yeah. Families can advocate for themselves now and they can really, you know, start to understand the reasoning behind why we're telling them what we want them to do. And um, so, yeah, so thank you guys so much for creating this product. I'm excited about it. Um, I know it's going to go far and I can't wait to see, you know, where it is even a year from now because I, you know, my kids are obsessed with their vitamins in the morning. So for me to maybe even give them something like this and be like, Hey, let's try this vitamin and stick it in the top of their mouth and see what they do with it. Um, I'd love to try all those out when you guys get to that point. That's, that's very cool. Great. Yeah. We're looking forward to that as well. Yeah. Um, Thanks for for doing this. One one last thing, Hallie, Uh, a quick message that we would actually love to, to deliver through your podcast is, um, as we said that, uh, the best way to standardize uh, a protocol of treatment is actually to do proper research and bring it to people through proper research. And uh, as you said, we, of course, like everyone else, is trying to, to protect his own intellectual property. But we are, we are encouraging actually everyone who is interested to, to take part in research from for his own expertise to to do it. And we are so happy to provide all type of support and help we can do so uh, as we said because nasal breathing and the complication of mouth breathing actually uh, uh, overlap with with many areas so everyone can take it from his own area of expertise and actually dig uh, deeper uh, sorry dig deeper to 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 get actually the bottom of it and how actually he can uh, uh, what how much benefit he can get out of it so um for example, I'll just give one a quick example, and I know that this is one of the big public health issues is antibiotic overuse. So when we talk about chronic inflammation of tonsils and adenoids in children, which actually is highly associated and linked to mouth breathing. So once you correct, go back to the root, once you correct this, 
Instead of having 10 to 12 infection episodes throughout the year, they can drop down to one or two. So you improve the health, you limit the use of antibiotics, you minimize the, the chances of having antibiotic resistance to develop. So it's, we, can, we can talk actually for hours about the potential benefits, but again, it needs all to go through proper research. So uh, again, we, we, are, we are so happy it's, it's a product for everyone to use. And whoever is interested in, in doing research on, on the product in every area and any application, we are happy to get in touch with and um, yeah, facilitate things for him and probably uh, give advice whenever needed. Fantastic. Well, what we will do is make sure that, um, you know, Myospot's website is included in the show notes. Um, is there any particular way you want them to get in touch with you? Is it through the website or is there a different way? Uh, also through the Instagram account. Uh, Instagram? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Okay. Um, so we'll include the Instagram account and the website. I have those both here in the show notes. And that way, if they're interested in doing any research and connecting with you on that, um, so I'm sure that you'll get some, some inquiries. I know that we do have a lot of research nerds that listen to this podcast. Um, we will definitely share that. Uh, the other thing I will say too, is that we recently started this Mayo membership, this monthly thing. So I'll share it in there as well and let them all know if anybody's interested in doing some research that, you know, you guys would love to connect with them on that front. Um, so I think, look, I'm all for it. The more research there is out there to support, you know, what we're saying and, uh, hopefully that will be the driving factor to get more professionals on board because I know they're all looking for those, you know, random control trials and they want that level one, level two research. And, um, sometimes that can be, can be trickier depending on the population you're working with and what you're trying to, the research design and what you're trying to, uh, you know, to prove. But, um, the one thing you said that, you know, has not been well received by American uh, myofunctional therapists is that, you know, the, my own daughter, for example, had size three, three plus tonsils, right? Before she went into her ALS appliance. And as the expansion started to happen, I noticed that the tissues started to shrink. And so I made a comment in a Facebook group of myofunctional, like thousands of myofunctional therapists. And I got like my, my head ripped off, take that post down. There is no research to support this. This doesn't happen. And I'm going, what do you mean this doesn't happen? She used to breathe through her mouth. She had hugely inflamed tonsils. Like you could see veins running through them, but she was never a kid who really got sick. So they didn't want to remove them. The ENT said, oh, they're on, his words were, uh, they're unimpressive. And I was like, I'm very impressed by those tonsils because I'm very <laughs> concerned about how much they're blocking her airway. And I'm also very concerned about the fact that maybe her adenoids are also enlarged if her tonsils are that severely enlarged. Um, they weren't kissing, but I'm like, her, you know, we all know that narrows the airway. So she went into that ALF appliance. She did not get sick once last winter. She, you know, the tonsils went down. They're still down. And so they're maybe like a size two now, but they're like a size two and they don't look inflamed. They look like they're just kind of hanging back there and you know, I'm like, I'm okay with that because her airway is large enough now. We know that she can nasal breathe. She's sleeping with her mouth closed. She sits, you know, passive activities with her mouth closed during the day. The tongue is up. And so I'm confident that we're, we're good now, right? But I also know that that had to do with the combination of the, the oral appliance and the orofacial myology together. Um, so anyways, all that to say, I, I would love to see you know, research in that area, because that's just, it's been hard to get even the myofunctional therapists who see this in their practices on board with actually believing that, you know, the tissue inflammation is related to mouth breathing. Um, was, it, um, uh, was it mouth breathing in that situation? 
was yes. it? So she was, it wasn't severe. It wasn't like a drop jaw with like severe yeah. mouth breathing, but she was definitely, you know, her mouth was always slightly open. Yeah. And when you go into preschools, I mean, it's a cesspool. Like it is just, <laughs> there's a lot of germs that you, you experience. And so she was constantly getting sick, but not getting sick to the point where they wanted to put her on antibiotics all the time. I'll send you through a couple of papers uh, that indirectly support what you're saying. Uh, one of them shows that the inflammatory mediators um, are higher. Now we're talking about two or three times fold higher in mouth breathers versus nasal breathers. So you get actual, you get a drop in inflammatory mediators um, the moment you start nasal breathing. And inflammation, as you know, uh, inflamed, that's why they call it inflamed tonsils because they're inflamed because of inflammation. So that, that's one, one issue. The other thing is that um, uh, palatal expansion has been shown uh, to increase your, the volume of air going through your nose. And that just increasing the volume of air, I mean, it creates like your, your fascia starts to move and starts to re remove and recontour. That has a huge effect as well. And the last point was the nitric acid uh, oxide. Uh, that has anti-inflammatory effects in itself. And it does uh, cause some vasodilation in some areas in your lungs. And it may even cause vasoconstriction in some other areas related to your tonsils. So all, put all that together, you can make an argument that your tonsils uh, can get smaller uh, in some situations by starting to use your, if you're, if you're able to, starting to use your nose more often. So I'll send you those papers, Sophie. If you run into those people yeah. again, you can actually say, here, have a look at these, what do you think? Now, yeah, you do need more research to specifically look at that. But there is a lot of evidence that's starting to show a different picture about nasal breathing versus mouth breathing, for sure. I love it. That's fantastic. Made my day. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, you know what you see in your patients, you know what you see in your own child, right? But until sometimes there's that physical evidence and you've written right. in a journal somewhere to support what you're seeing or saying, you, you're always going to catch people who disagree with what you have. And, and even when the research is there, so sometimes they disagree, but you know, it's, I, um, with running this group that we're running now, one pillar, one of the four pillars is pulling together research reviews for our members so that we are actually, I've got a, a couple of myofunctional therapists um, who are also speech pathologists who we're trying, whatever the monthly topic is, we're trying to source research related to the monthly topic so that we can review it for them, tell them what level of evidence it is, you know, really just tell them like, this is what they did in the study, this is what the results were. And that way, when we do come up against other providers or even parents, we can say, well, here's a nice one sheet explanation of this research article and this research article and this one. Yeah. Um, because I just think that if we can make more sense of the research that's out there and try to, you know, integrate it and pull it together, that's really going to help everybody. Sure. So I would love to see those articles. <laughs> yeah, we'll send them through. Thank you. Thank you. Any, any last words? This has been fantastic. No, really, look, I'd just like to thank you and thank everybody who listens that we really appreciate that you're bringing the word out there for not just my spots, but all types of um, holistic approaches to trying to, you know, improve the health of children through nasal breathing and mouth breathing, like, you know, reducing nasal you know, mouth breathing and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we really appreciate this. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it as well. <laughs> thank you, Hattie. Thanks. Thanks a lot for having us.
You are more than welcome. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Mayo Tots airway and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan. And you can head over to the untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes, um, where you can also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. 